Welcome to Being at Work. Oh my goodness. Today's episode is one I've been dreaming about since I first met today's guest many years ago. I met him as part of an interview team. I was evaluating his presentation skills and I literally said to one of my colleagues, we will all be working for this guy one day. Over the last several years, we've become dear friends and Tony Sanders is one of my all-time favorite people. Just thinking about him brings tears to my eyes because he may be the most genuine, tuned-in human being I've ever known. I have no doubt that he was born for this time as the world needs more of Tony and his perspective right now. You can hear the emotion behind my words because I wholeheartedly believe in him and his story. I am inspired, informed, and ignited by the message that he will share with us today. Listen in as he shares his story with so much vulnerability and openness, his passion for the DEI work he's engaged in, the growth and development of people that connects everything he does, and all of the other magic he has to share. In other words, he's a great example of being of service to the world. My journey is happiness by accident. And I'll explain briefly what that means. Today, I wake up every day super excited about the work that I get to do. I was just laughing with some family members the other day about the work that I do. And I, and I told them if I explained it to you, it wouldn't even make sense. Like the, for you to know me and know where I came from and how I grew up and kind of the, the lens we saw the world through, the stuff that I get to do today just doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even compute. So I'm super, super happy to be in that space and to do the work that I do. But it was not always that way. If you rewind the clock seven years ago, I was a completely different human being, especially around work. I probably spent more time trying to figure out how not to work <laughs> and how not to to get things done and not be engaged than I did working. And so, you know, I'm, I'm super blessed to be where I am. But I would I would describe my journey as happiness by accident because I had no clue that I would end up doing the things that I'm doing today. Happiness by accident. What a great way to frame it up. So I'm curious about seven years ago and what happened? You said you were a completely different human being. In what way? I would say that I described that time of my life and my personal life and my professional life as kind of a, a nomadic period, meaning that I just kind of roamed from place to place and wherever the wind blew, that's where I would go in my professional life. I, ha I always had dreams of things that I could do but never really believed that I could do them. And so I followed the tradition of what I saw around me, right? All of my family members worked in a warehouse or a factory of sorts. And I remember I got a job at a factory here in Indianapolis and I went to day one of orientation and I just knew I was going to hate it. I knew that this was not the work for me. I knew I had been down this road before. It felt so familiar, but it felt like the only option I had. And I went to speak to one of my uncles about it. And I said, hey, I got this job here. I just left orientation. And he said something to me that really started to change my perspective on, on work. And he said, man, that's a good job. Stay there for about 30 years, retire, get your watch, your pension, 
you know, your 401k, and then you can go do what you really want to do with your life. And that sounded miserable to me. I didn't want to work there 30 days, let alone 30 years. And so I go off on this track of, of 30 years of misery one day at a time, one eight hour shift at a time. And about six months into what felt like forever, I got laid off. Not because I did anything wrong, not because I wasn't showing up. I wasn't the greatest employee because, again, I hated being there. So my productivity level was probably really low. But something happened in the economy. The business wasn't able to pivot because it was a really big business. And so the last 500 to 1,000 people that got hired no longer had a job. And so that's when it started to click for me. Like, wait a minute. I hated coming here every day. I did it anyway because that's what I was supposed to do. And I did my work. I made sure I didn't get in trouble. You know, I did the minimum, but I did my work. And then I get fired because someone else messed up. Like, this doesn't make sense. And so in that moment, I made a conscious decision to say, whatever I do next, when I get fired or when I get laid off, which at, my, at that point in my life, it seemed like a virtual certainty. When I get laid off, at least I'll be able to look back and say, wow, that was fun. I enjoyed that. So I don't care about how much money I'm going to make. I don't care about what other people think about this job. I'm going to go do something that I actually know or at least think I enjoy and would have fun at. And a funny thing happened. I haven't been laid off for five since then. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, that's, that's where I was. And, you know, it's interesting to even think back about that mindset of what I thought was possible or, or the societal myths, so to speak, that held me back in those times. Well, and in such a short period of time, I mean, it's it's really interesting for me to, I mean, I guess if I really would have thought about that, that seven years, since I know you, but it feels like you have been doing the work you're doing today. It feels like you've been doing that throughout your entire career because you're so good at it. You're an expert facilitator, coach, trainer, strategist around learning. I mean, everything you do is connected to the growth and the development of people. So I suspect that you said that um, you always had these dreams, but you didn't believe you could do those things. Was it, a, was it around the growth and development of people? It was always around and it was kind of a natural thing. I'm the oldest of eight kids to my parents. And so it was always told to me that my job was to go out and figure out life, so to speak, and then come back and teach it to the tribe. I would play quarterback in high school. And so it was always my job to be the leader and understand everyone's position and be kind of the coach on the field. And so there were always little signs of it. Um, I had friends who needed help with sales in their business, and I would go and coach them on their sales and it would make a difference. So it, it was always there. I always had fun with it, but that's what it seemed like. It seemed like something you have fun with and not something that you could actually work at and make a living from. And I think that's a, a fundamental problem we have as a society. We, we separate those things. I don't believe in work-life balance as a phrase. The way we talk about work and life is like they're two separate things and we spend too much of our life at work to talk about it that way. I believe in work-life integration. I believe work is an important relationship in our life, but it's like every other relationship in our lives. And Andrea, you know, you're, you're my friend and, and I love you and we've been friends for years. I never say I need more Andrea life balance. I love my wife, Michelle. We've been married for 12 years. I never say I need more wife life balance. If I did, I, 
I'd probably be in some trouble behind that. But the, <laughs> the point is, all of those other relationships, we integrate them in our lives and we treat them like relationships, which means that there has to be trust there. We need to enjoy it, right? It can't be a toxic environment. If we started to look at work that way, it would completely shift what we think we could actually do. And it's never been a better time to do the work that you love. It's 2021. We have the internet. I always laugh that at the at the end of the night, I'm I'm doing things, whether I'm working on a video for a customer or you know, working on a training plan or just doing something for fun. I laugh when I look out the window and it's dark and I think back to my grandfather. I'm like, my grandfather would have to go to bed right now because it's not, he doesn't have enough light to keep going. I could do this at 2 a.m. because I could talk, I can connect with the people who are in Europe and in Australia right now and I could keep engaging and I could just keep going. And my grandfather would have had to go to bed right now. And so I'm super happy that we live in a time where we have the tools and the reach and the technology to literally monetize whatever we're passionate about and make money from it. And so we need to do a better job. I feel I need to do a better job of helping people uh, shift that paradigm and look at it differently. Yeah, that's good. And really find the meaning in what they're doing as you have. Absolutely. Oh, that's so good. I had never, I've never heard that like thinking, I definitely think of my work as a relationship, but I never thought of it like my relationship with my husband or a relationship with my friend and how I would never try to balance that relationship with my, it is my life. It's all my life. Absolutely. We treat work like it's our little brother or sister that mom made us bring to the party. It's like, okay, come on, you gotta go. And that's not the way that it should be at all. We should be super happy about the work that we get to do every day. And it should be uh, something that we do as an act of service, but it should also serve us in a lot of ways. I talk to people about when they apply to a job and they always think about, you know, of course you you get a job and you want to do a great job and you start to think about all the ways that you can add value to the place that you work. And that's incredibly important. You should definitely be an asset to the company that you work for. But we never really think about how that place is going to be an asset to us, the value that we want to receive from that, right? And so that was a big part of my journey too, just figuring out something that I call career clarity. Like, what do I believe about work? What do I want from work? What do I need work to be in my life? If it's, is it just a paycheck? If it's just a paycheck, then that's not going to last and sustain you very long because after a while, you'll get over the excitement of, oh, I get a paycheck, oh, I get a paycheck. But if it serves a purpose, then you can tap into something deeper, something that's actually bigger than you that will get you excited and keep you excited. Being lit up by your work is something that, that we share. And you can hear it in the way you talk about it. You keep saying the work I get to do. I mean, isn't that a mindset shift? It's, it doesn't feel obligatory. It's something that you're fortunate to be able to do. And you, the other thing I hear in what you're saying, Tony, is bringing yourself to whatever it is you're doing. We're big fans of saying um, in leadership development, wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, there you are. So whatever job you find yourself in, where are you in that? And what are you bringing to that? That's one of the things that 
will help people enjoy their job better to put it in the most basic terms. So what happened with me, once I started to get really excited about work, obstacles started to come up that would block that. And outside of this conversation, we'd probably call them engagement metrics, right? The key elements of keeping a a, a team member or an employee engaged. Well, all these things start to pop up. And so I started to find ways and research and, and do everything that I could, you know, kind of fight and claw to make sure that nothing ruined this opportunity that I get to have every day. I've come too far to get to a spot where I actually enjoy my work and I'm spending extra time and I'm upskilling nights and weekends and I'm really throwing myself into my work. I've come way too far to let some of these things, these elements pop up and ruin that for me. And one is, one is what you just mentioned is you know having that sense of belonging where you can bring your whole self to work, where you can be who you are and your environment. That's a big, big, important part. Well, which which leads us to your passion around DE&I. And you heard me say in my intro that I so believe in your story and your message and how important it is right now. You recently told me a story about your grandfather who you referenced a few minutes ago, and I got to meet your grandfather. <laughs> I mean... The stories that you've told about this man and how he has lived his life and the the inspiration for your entire family that he has been. um, I'm just so eager to bring that to to the listeners of this show. So tell us about that. Yeah, my grandfather is an incredible man. He's a, a pastor of the church that we attend every Sunday in Indianapolis, Indiana, Zion Hill. And when he was born, in the 1930s in Mississippi, he was actually born into sharecropping. And so for uh, people who may not know, sharecropping was kind of like the next evolution of slavery. After slavery ended, there was an agreement between the newly freed slaves and some of the landowners that you could work on this land. And they had many different business systems, if you will, or operation methods for sharecropping. But one of them was you could live on this land for free, but we'd calculate it as an expense to your business and you would work in the field and you would bring in a harvest. And at the end of the season, if you made a profit, you would get whatever you had in profit above and beyond your expenses. When my grandfather talks about their experience, he always used to say, no matter what we did, no matter what type of harvest we brought in, no matter what type of year we had, we never made a profit. At best, we would just break even. After every season, it would say, oh, yep, you broke even again. And so the particular plantation that they were on, the landowner there had some practices that, let's say, shouldn't have happened. And I want to apologize in advance for anyone who may be triggered by this experience, but one of those practices where when the women that were on the plantation got of a certain age, they would bring them into the big house and sexually assault them. And so when it came time for that to happen to the women in our family, uh, my grandfather, my my great-grandmother, my great-grandfather, they decided they wanted to do something about it. And so they had a relationship with another landowner that lived kind of down the street that would come to their plantation and do some type of exchange with them, right? You know, I have this crop, you have that crop, let's do an exchange. And so that guy, 
and I wish I knew his name. I don't I don't know his name, but that guy agreed to put my grandfather and his family in the back of his truck with the rest of the produce that he had, cover them with the tarp and drive them as far north as he could. And so he quite literally saved their life and the bloodline of my entire family. I don't know if I'm here without that guy. And so he drove them north. They in, they landed in Memphis, Tennessee, and then eventually uh, came further north to Indianapolis, Indiana. But I learned that story as a kid, and I've talked to him about it well within the last couple of years. But it's such a powerful story about diversity, equity, and inclusion, even in the terms that we hear it and talk about it today. And so it's super important to have allies. It's super important to have advocates. It's super important to have people that really can work with you to help you get to a better place. Oh my gosh. I've heard that story now a few times, but um, it hits me so deeply. I just, there's so many things about it. I appreciate what you said about people being triggered. I was triggered by that. And I just, I can't even imagine for the parents of those daughters like even having a daughter born into that situation, you know what you're going to be faced with. So I'm so sorry for all that had to go through that. And it's just, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And as a girl, dad, I feel that too. I have three daughters and I just can't, I can't imagine being in that situation or what I wouldn't do to get out of that situation. Right. So the courage that it took for your family to approach this this neighbor and the risk that the neighbor was taking. I mean, there's risk all around there, but I think about the risk that it took for this neighbor. And and you you use the word ally, but Tony, I've heard you talk about the difference between an ally and an accomplice. And you've you've called him an accomplice in this story. And talk a little bit about that. Cause I think I think you make a great distinction between an ally and an accomplice. Yeah, so when we kind of look at our glossary of terms when it comes to doing the work of DEI, there are a couple different positions that people can play if they want to be a positive part of change. And one's not better than the other. You know, we could all be a different one at a different time. Uh, But the four that I would like to call attention to today is an ally, an advocate, an activist, and an accomplice. An accomplice is what that guy was for my family. But an ally is any person, could be a group or a nation, that is united under a common purpose with another group. And so when you are an ally to someone, you are united with them, you stand with them. And a lot of times that happens behind closed doors. Like, hey, Andrea, I know you're going through this. I want to be united with you under this common purpose because I believe in what you believe. An advocate is someone who actually pleads the cause of someone else. So that advocate is going to use their voice. They're going to use their writing skills. They're going to use many forms of articulation to stand up for someone who ordinarily wouldn't have a voice in this type of situation. And then an activist, that person normally attacks our public systems, right? Public speech, public protest in support or in opposition of what has in our society been a controversial issue. And then the last one, an accomplice, if you look up the definition of accomplice, it's one associated with another person, especially in wrongdoing. So this is someone who is 
giving up their own safety, their own security, sometimes their own name to be a part of a change that can seem to be wrong, right? So in that time when that person decided to help my family, what that guy was doing was legal and socially acceptable at the time. It wasn't that he was violating any specific law or any code in the South. That's just the way things were. Is that right? I mean, but you said this was a sharecropping agreement. I mean, it wasn't a slavery situation. So how could that have possibly been legal? I don't understand that. Yeah, it was a sharecropping agreement, which today would be like having a contractor work with you. But although the laws of slavery somewhat changed, there were still slave codes, right? And so you hear a lot of people talk about today, you know, the abolition of slavery. If you actually read the text, it doesn't abolish slavery. It just puts parameters around when slavery can happen. So slavery still exists. It's just different parameters on which it can happen. So you can't enslave someone if they don't do these things. And so even though, you know, that was the code at the time, and there were, if you look at the Virginia slave codes and a lot of the Jim Crow era laws, a lot of the language and the way you can penalize someone for not doing what you believe they should do, it still falls back to slavery. (laughs) That's so wrong. I agree. I agree. But this guy, not only did he risk his good name, he risked his livelihood with his business, right? That he could have easily ruined that relationship that he had where they were trading for this guy to say, I'm not going to trade with you anymore, or I'm going to ruin your name in the South. And you know, it could have been a lot for his family, but he was willing to risk that for the greater good, for what he believed to be fair and what he believed to be right. And so all of those different postures we can take when it comes to DEI work, being an ally, being an advocate, being an activist, being an accomplice, they're all important. But that person that's an accomplice, they are going to get in the fire with you to make sure that you get out regardless of what it costs them. Yeah. And just the impact that that decision has had. I mean, you have a huge family that is doing so much good. I mean, your grandfather is now pastoring a church, impacting so many lives. You know, when when you said, I don't know if I'd be here without that guy, like that really resonated. I mean, the, the impact of that one decision that one risk that he took. That goes to show you when you are helping someone that ordinarily wouldn't be able to help themselves, you never know what impact you could have. I have over 60 cousins that live in the city <laughs> that I get to see on a regular basis. Like I said, my grand, my grandfather's a pastor of a church. He's been a pastor for over 60 years. I just talked to him last Sunday. I'm going to see him, you know, this Sunday. And so it's, um, it goes to show that one, that time was not that long ago. This isn't my this isn't my great great grandfather, right? You know, he's living now. But it just shows the impact you can have on someone when you choose to kind of leave your comfort zone and step up for what's right. Yeah. Is this something that you all talk about a lot in your family? Does your grandfather talk about this? Well, my grandfather's definitely a storyteller and he'll talk about anything if you ask him. (laughs) And so this was definitely something that he brought up, but he always taught it with a couple of different key points. Number one, don't be 
afraid to make relationships with people who don't look like you. Him growing up in that time, he could have very easily said, okay, well, if this white man is treating me this way, then maybe every white man is like that. Because from the experiences I've had, this is much just how it, how it must be. But instead, he took more of an attitude of everyone is an individual and I'm going to get to know these individuals. And we're all flawed and we all have places we fall short. But let me get to know you as a person. And I think that's something that we can all walk away with. I think uh, a lot of times, especially in this stage where we're in now, where people are becoming aware of the problem and they're trying to educate themselves and they're trying to do the work of understanding, they just want the easy route of understanding. They want a blanket statement to say, hey, never say this to a Black person or or never do this around Black people. I, I got asked a question on an interview and say, what are three key things I should never say to a Black person? It's like, well, that question's probably one of them because we're not all the same. We don't all think the same. The key is let's go build a relationship with that person and actually get to know them and know what they like and what they dislike. And that'll tell you something about one, but it won't tell you something about everyone. That's one of the key messages that your grandfather really highlights when he shares the story. Don't be afraid to build relationships with people who are different from you. We see that in this story because of the relationship that your family had with this man. He was willing to take a risk for them. That's good. What's, what's the other one? What's the other key, key message that he shares? The other one is super important. And the other one is never be afraid to speak up for those who don't have a voice and for what's right. And so uh, you know me well, I just have a hard time not saying something when I see someone is being treated unfairly, when I see someone is not getting just treatment or not getting what they need. I just can't not say something. <laughs> and my, my wife is always like, do you have to say something every time? Like, I think I do. I just don't know how to not speak up and say, hey, that's not right. Or, hey, we can't do that. And of course, you, you have to do it uh, in a way that the person who needs to hear you can hear you. But I just have a really hard time not speaking up when I see injustice and that a lot of that comes from my grandfather. Yeah, that's just ingrained in you. It's also, I mean, you you are a person of such integrity. You are a truth teller. I mean, I, I've seen you. I could share lots of situations where I've seen you, you know, you, but you listen, you take it in, you understand, and then you relay, you're such a strong communicator. You relay your perspective really much aligned with what you've heard someone else share. So it's 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 a really a great a great gift that you have in that. I appreciate that, but I I'm a very goal-oriented task-driven person, right? And so if I'm engaging in conversation with someone, especially in a challenging conversation, I have to get clear on what we're trying to achieve and I, I want to get clear on that person's perspective. Like I, I'm not foolish enough to believe that my perspective is the only perspective. We all live in our own world, right? We all see the world through our own lens. And so listening is the best way to engage someone, especially if you want to help them. And if you want to be heard, you have to listen to that other person to really figure out what they're feeling and what they're thinking and what they're processing. The overwhelming majority of 
what comes out of our mouth, the overwhelming majority of it is not everything we thought. It's just the tail end of, it's where we arrived, but it's not the process that got us there. And so a lot of times if I'm listening, I'm listening from an empathetic standpoint to just really understand where this person is coming from. Well, and then it allows you to respond in a way that reflects your values and who you are and is helpful. I fall into the trap of reacting a lot rather than responding. So I appreciate your thoughtful, let's hear what's really going on here before before you respond. Okay, so let's go back to the accomplice. So I I really like the the difference and thank you for highlighting ally, advocate, activist, accomplice. It's really interesting to hear you just describe the difference and the value in each of those roles that we can play. But let's talk a little bit more about accomplice and particularly as it relates to your grandfather's key messages around not being afraid to build relationships with people who are different than you, not being afraid to speak up. Those can be risky kinds of things to people who, especially for those people who they're not ingrained in like they are in you. And so what does, what does being an accomplice look like at work? You know, as we're talking about DEI in the workplace, what are some ideas you have for how can we all play the accomplice role in a way that's genuine and helpful? When it comes to playing an accomplice, the hard part about it is normally you're risking something. So you're risking your brand or your relationship with the person that uh, may be doing the, the wrong or maybe the person that is causing the injustice. You're normally risking something. And so normally what stops us from being an accomplice is fear. We don't want to lose anything that we've gained because it feels like we're, we're going backwards. I always look at it as what am I sacrificing and why am I sacrificing that? So if I'm 100% okay with losing my job or losing a relationship, if I'm standing up for something that I believe in to my core and I'm okay with that because of my faith. I'm not afraid of upsetting this leader or that leader because they're going to take my job away because I don't believe they gave me my job in the first place. I believe that God instilled in me principles and the lessons and the hard work and the work that I've done up until this point that allowed me to get this job. And so if he's done it before, he'll do it again, right? So I'm not fearful of losing something in pursuit of doing the right thing. And so that's kind of the big overarching message or methodology or thinking that I utilize when I decide that I'm going to speak up on behalf of someone else. The other thing I think that it's important to to look at is what are we all here for? When we're at work, I mean, we are all hired to reach a common goal, a common purpose, to be able to get this thing done. And the best way to get this done is to have everyone at their best. And so if we have a situation that's stopping someone from being their best, I'm going to step up and say something on behalf of the organization that we all work for, that we're all dedicated to, that common goal, that common purpose that we're fighting for, to make sure that we can all be at our best and reach our goal. And that's really what any of these things, anytime we speak up on behalf of someone, that's the vein we should speak up in. I'm doing this on behalf of the better good of our common goal and our common purpose. And that really helps 
frame the conversation when you need to go to someone and have that difficult conversation. Yeah. So it feels it's it feels very much like your values and your mindset really, really drive you. And so I think for each of us right now, taking a step back to think about what is fear telling us that's keeping us from supporting the people that we work with? You know, you are grounded in your faith, which is such a strong value for you that sounds like that drives everything. So you you answer that fear with a really bold faith. And you aren't then afraid of losing something. I really like that. Like not fearing the loss of something in pursuit of doing the right thing. We compromise. Yeah. And none of us sit back and see injustice and say, I don't care or I don't want to help. I just don't believe that's the natural posture for any human being. I think that a lot of times we see something happen in that board meeting or we see something happen in the hallways and we want to say something, but we immediately go back, okay, well, what happens to me when I say that thing, right? And so sometimes inadvertently, we allow others to suffer to avoid our own perceived suffering. And what's funny about that is normally when we do speak up and we do say something, it's never as bad as we thought it was going to be. <laughs> and I'll even take it a step further if the worst thing does happen, which is you get fired and you don't have that job anymore or whatever, ask yourself, do you really want to work at that place? Do I really want to work at a place where they allow these types of uh, injustices to happen, to hurt people, to haunt people, to limit productivity? Do I really want to work in an environment that's okay with that? I, I, I'd be willing to bet the answer is probably no. Yeah, really good point. Well, and also, I, I mean, in my experience, I'm thinking about a couple of situations recently where I stepped out a bit, personal experience kind of in the face of something that someone was sharing and that was um, very contrary to his perspective. And because, because I it just, it didn't feel right to let, to let this, like this very narrow view of this topic that we were discussing it didn't feel like that was the only perspective. It felt like we needed to round it out with another perspective. So you know, I listened to him. I validated what I had heard and I shared a different perspective. And it was, the room got really quiet. And, you know, while I saw some heads nodding, like a lot of people were looking down like, oh, no. And a after the meeting, I got a lot of text messages from people saying, thank you so much for speaking up. And so I also think it's respected, maybe not in the moment. Yeah. And I think you bring up some interesting points that we should share too. When I think about being an accomplice in the workplace, it's not as radical or as nuclear as it may sound. So I'm not saying that if a leader does something that you don't agree with, you go and be George Costanza in their office and you flip everything over and you storm out. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that you have to be committed to the decision to do something about it. The strategy to get there, that's always going to be flexible, but stay committed to the decision to do something about it. And when you approach that conversation with that individual, if you really want to get something done, never do it in a public forum. You need to do that in a one-to-one -one conversation and go in knowing what you know, but not enforcing your assumptions, right? In sales, we used to always say, 
it's okay to have your assumptions or your instincts, but ask the right questions to prove them. You can prove them right or you can prove them wrong. But don't just jump to your conclusions based on your assumptions. You know, as humans, we do have great instincts, but that doesn't mean that they're always right. Take the time to ask the questions and you could just give them, you know, here's the situation. Here's the the action that I observed from my perspective. And this is the impact that that's having. And so I want to just have a conversation with you about that because I know you to be a great leader and I don't think that you would ever intend to have that impact on someone. So I would just like to, for us to have that conversation. And a lot of times that person really respects that. And sometimes, I mean, they don't even know, right? Every, when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, everyone is on their own journey, their own journey of understanding, their own journey of development. And so not everyone is going to be in the same place that you are. And we have to give those people grace to be able to grow and mature in their journey. And so having uh, a conversation that starts with love, that starts from a, a posture of, I want to understand and not I'm accusing you of something goes a long, long way. Yeah. So what is, what is my posture right now? A great, simple question we can all ask ourselves. I, I highlighted earlier that you know, everything you're doing connects back to the growth and development of people. And so this DEI journey is one of growth, as you just said, for all of us. So it's so connected to the growth and development and evolution of people, both individually and as a group that you're working on. So it's all connected, isn't it? Absolutely. It is. And it's just a part of of being a person who's committed to their own personal growth and development. You have to actually do the work and not just, oh, well, DEI is the hot topic, so let's check the box here. It has to really be a part of doing the work, and that starts in your own household. So let's let's end with that. What does your growth journey look like right now? What are you working on? The things that I'm always working on, I'm working on just how to be a better service to the world. How can I find problems that I can solve? or be a part of the solution to just move people forward. And so for me, that means I have to always be looking for ways and be honest with myself about my shortcomings and where I can move forward and how I can get better. And so as I learn, I teach. I learn best through articulation. I read a quote and I I wish I knew who to credit to, but the quote said, I write to understand what I know. I write to understand what I know. I write to understand what I know. And what I what I pulled from that is a lot of times we just learn from sharing it with someone else, from articulating it to someone else. There are always times where, and we've all had these moments where we are in conversation with someone or like now we're doing a podcast interview. And when it's over, we say, man, I wish I would have said that this way. Or I wish I would have said that that way. <laughs> That's us learning through articulation. We learn. And so if someone follows me on social media or they see some of the things that I do and they're like, man, you're always putting out something. That's my learning process. I'm a self-developer. So I'm always going to be articulating what I've learned because that helps me grow. And I learned so much just from hitting that publish button. So that's what my journey looks like. I'm just always trying to push myself forward so that I have something to offer the world to be able to push the world forward. Yeah, well, and you you started with that. You talked about how 
like sharing your story evolves because the perspective you have around it changes the way you talk about it changes because you're evolving all the time. Absolutely. Well, and speaking of finding you on social media, where can our listeners do that? I am at Tony R. Sanders everywhere from TikTok to LinkedIn. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story. 